and we are finishing out the First Corinthians book in our series, Discovering the Supernatural. This is part three of that, and I entitled today's message, Discovering True Love. Now, although we're in Corinthians, I want to read a passage to you. It's just a couple verses. You can just listen to it. You don't have to turn there. If you grow up in the 80s, you're going to have a little song that goes along with this verse, right? It's probably how you memorized it, okay? Don't do the hand motions. It's weird, okay? First uh, John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. You know, when I hear phrases like that, it almost sounds like the Bible is saying that love is like a unique Christian experience, right? Anyone that's loving, oh, they have to be a believer. And you're like, hold up a second. That is not true. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I got a neighbor, let's say, right? I got a neighbor who doesn't even know Jesus, and they are light years more moral, more sweet, more kind, more sacrificial than half the church people I know. I mean, do we not all have experiences like this, right? And you're like, it's obviously not unique to Christianity. Like, man, there's all kinds of love in this world. So, so when you read that, like, what does he mean? Well, let's talk about that for a second because do you realize that every single human being on the planet has the image of God stamped on them? Do you know that? The Bible says that human beings are made in the image of God. So in the same way that we have the ability to reason, in the same way we have the ability to think outside of ourselves, in the same way that we have God-like qualities that separate us from animals, in the same way love is the nature of God, we all have the capacity to love. Every person on the planet has the capacity to love. Now, the image of God is marred in us, is that not true? Right, Our sin has smeared it, so it doesn't look full, legit Jesus. Right, There's all kinds of issues that we're trying to work out. Right, And once again, for a Christian, there should be a more cleaned up image of Jesus because of the washing that Jesus did on you, yeah? And, and I think that when we talk about it being uniquely Christian, I think that it's uniquely Christian in a couple ways. One of them is our motivation should be unique. While the world is loving out of their image of God, we actually have been overfilled with love from God that should be resonating up in our hearts and we should be able to love easier than the world. Why? Because we're overflowing, right? That should be the case. The other thing is we've had a very special teacher. Jesus demonstrated the extreme acts of love. What would it look like to have love in a physical, tangible body? You see Jesus. We've learned all that in role modeling. We should be better at it. Our motivation should be different because when, when God says to love other people, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. So our motivations are different than the world. And you're like, okay, so I, I get that, but, but after all that stuff, I still find a lot of non-Christians really more loving than Christians. Okay, why is that? C.S. Lewis addressed an issue that I thought was, of course, brilliant, right? This guy's super, super smart. He said, you can never estimate whether or not Christianity works by analyzing and comparing two different people. And he said, the reason is, is that we don't start at the same point. 
He said, let's say, for example, that what we call Christian maturity, it looks a lot like morality. It looks a lot like self-sacrifice. It looks a lot like love. These are things that you would go, oh, that Christian has been transformed. He said, all right, let's say, for example, one person is born into a moral, healthy functional household. They've been taught to look at other people's needs. They've been taught that the world isn't all about themselves. They've been consistent. They've been loved on. When they emerge out of that house, they appear pretty darn moral and pretty well like their head's screwed on straight. Pretty sweet, pretty loving. He said, now imagine another person grew up in total toxicity right? They grew up in abuse. They grew up in inconsistency. They grew up in terrible places where it was just survival of the fittest. If you're not looking out for you, nobody's looking out for you. When you grow up in that environment and you emerge out, you are in a completely different spot. Now, let's say the first person does not know Jesus. The second person does. When you match them together, one looks way more moral than another one. One looks way more loving than the other one. So you never figure out if it works by comparing. He said the only way to do it is to say, is the same person transformed with Jesus than without? That's the only way you can tell because you never know where somebody is starting from. So you're never gonna know how far they're along in transformation. Does that make sense? So the reason why it matters for us this morning is I'm going to be talking about God-type love. I'm going to talk about an extreme, radical type of love that we've learned from the Lord. And I'm going to be pushing us to have a bit of a different definition about our expectations of how Christians ought to be loving. But when I do that, please do not estimate yourself or assess yourself based on the person sitting next to you. Oh, well, I'm more loving than my whatever. I'm more loving than my friends. I'm more loving than my spouse. I'm more loving. And you kind of like figure out where you fit. Here's the question you should be asking. Am I as loving as I ought to be after what Jesus has done in me? That is the right question. Yeah? Because if not, what's hindering that process. That's what we're really going to dig into. See, trying to live the Christian life without love is kind of a useless thing. Jesus said that on love hangs the entire Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, law and prophets. Everything hangs on one concept, love. How do we know that? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Every single thing that matters about Christianity is all contingent on love. If you pull love out, the entire thing collapses. To be a Christian and be unloving unravels any impact you're gonna have on the world for positive. You cannot be Christ-like and unloving at the same time. It's actually not a thing. And when I talk about being loving, I'm talking about agape. I'm talking about like in Greek, like not just a, hey man, I think you're really attractive and, and I'm infatuated with you. I'm not talking about, oh, we're best buddies and stuff. I'm talking about, man, I am all in for your best at all times. I do not waver. It is self-sacrificial and I need you maximized for your best. Sometimes that's me being tough on you. Sometimes that is me being gentle and sweet with you, but I need to love you to where you are fully loved. 
That's a God love. How are you gonna do that? That's what I'm talking about. Our view of love is weak. To make a difference in this world, our love has to be radical. The world can ignore mediocre love all the time. They see that everywhere. But you can't ignore radical love. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, dying on a cross, interceding for the people that are murdering him. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That kind of extreme radical love is what changes someone's life, right? God's type of love is so extreme that we need both skill sets and the power of the Holy Spirit to actually do it right. Do you understand radical love is something like forgiveness? Forgiveness is not a human thing. Forgiveness takes the power of the Holy Spirit and then learning some skill sets on how to keep living into forgiveness, right? Is that not right? Okay, that's how we grow up, we mature. We need some maturity matching with the power of the Holy Spirit to love our enemies. This concept of loving our enemies, that's not a human thing. If you could love them, they wouldn't have been your enemies. So what God's calling us to requires a supernatural element to even do it. But that's so beautiful because that's what Christians are. We're partakers of the divine nature. We're plugged into the very essence of everything God is. That means that we're ignited, right? That we have all of our systems ready to go so we can do things that the world cannot do. That's very, very powerful. But here's the problem. I don't believe the church is having as much impact on the nation of America as it should. And the main reason I think so is that our love isn't selfless enough. We're doing a lot of loving things. I just don't think a lot of it is actually getting any credit. I'm gonna tell you why. Oh man, how much charity do we do? Oh, we, and the church, if you pull the church out of America, charity is just gonna plummet. Like we're out there, we're the ones putting our money where our mouth is. We're the ones helping out. We're the ones starting hospitals. We're the one, right? Like church is legit. But here's the problem. Hey man, I heard that you've been given to that, that homeless thing. Man, that's pretty cool. Like you're really, you put in a lot of stuff. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, yeah, so you get a tax break for that, right? Ah. All of a sudden they're like, okay, so there's something in it for you, right? Then all of a sudden we do like a short-term mission, right? We're gonna do a short-term mission, right? We're gonna do it at Bora Bora, <laughs> right? And then you, you come back from the short-term mission and you're like, man, I'm so blessed. Man, I was so good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel totally transformed. I feel really, everything is I. And someone goes, oh, so it wasn't really just for them, right? Like that was, that was you. You see, we keep doing a bunch of stuff that has mutual benefit and the world goes, ah, are you really into it for them or are you really into it for you? Hmm. The world's gonna keep seeing that because the world does that. March of Dimes, all these things. There's so many organizations out there that may or may not be Christian in organization, but the world's putting tons of cash into that too. Why are they doing it? Because man, it feels good to help somebody else. And you feel like you should, that's morality. Okay, so at what point are we doing anything different than them? So you just gotta keep analyzing and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. The world is not going to be impressed by a Christian's love until it smells like Jesus all the way through, right? 
That is what I think has changed the world. Christianity went worldwide in 300 years, not because they passed a bunch of legislation. I just don't think our responses are very effective. It changed the world because nobody saw love like that. Nobody saw dedication like that. Nobody saw fire like that. And when they talked about a risen Lord, you knew he was their everything. That's what will change the world, right? The fill in the blank on the sheet or app in front of you is true love can change the world. True love can change the world. Last week when we were together, Pastor Brian was leading us through the passage right before this, talking about spiritual gifts. Can we appreciate Pastor Brian's communication writings? Yeah. Yeah, he's a brilliant, brilliant communicator. I'm so thankful for him. Now, as he wrapped up his portion, it was, it was Paul the Apostle going, you gotta use your gifts, man. Everybody's gotta use your gifts. You got some that are, look normal, some that look super psycho, right, and really weird. Uh, we need to use them all. That's how God gifted us to make a difference. That's how we have our power. That's how we have our victory. That's how the gates of hell will not prevail. I need everybody using your gifts. However, there is something more important than your gifts, and it's what will keep your gifts being gifts and blessings and not curses. It's a more excellent way. And he said, I wanna talk about that right now. And he shifts into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Would you turn there? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Now, a lot of you are going, oh, I know this one. I've heard 32 sermons on it. <laughs> well, then you are dismissed. No, that's not, that's not true. See, Paul's been around the block long enough to know this. You guys, I need you to use your gifts. I need you to use your gifts. You got all kinds of supernatural gifts. I need you to use your gifts. But he's also wise enough to know that even in the gifts of God, selfishness can ruin everything. So right in the middle of his supernatural talk, he inserts the chapter of love. Why? Because if you do the gifts of the Spirit, Without the fruit of the Spirit, it becomes a curse and not a blessing. We got to watch that. We got to watch that. All right. So here's his point. Supernatural power, no matter how legit you are, does not cover up a bad heart. I don't care how anointed you are. If you're not loving, I can't use you. I don't want you anywhere on staff. I don't want you anywhere in leadership. Why? Because you're going to hurt somebody. I need you in your gifts, but I need you in your gifts loving. That's the only way it's gonna work, right? Brilliance and intellectual insight doesn't cover up a bad heart. You could be the smartest person in the room. I don't care. If you're unloving, you're unloving. Amazing church people at the top of the church ladder. Without love, they're useless to me. I don't care. Even those that appear so passionate, even to the point of martyrdom, if you don't have love in your heart for Jesus Christ and other people, it don't matter. Do you realize that on this planet, we have a lot of people martyring themselves that is not for Jesus? Did you know that? Do they get credit from the Lord for that? Nope, absolutely not. Do we all give them respect of going, dang, you must be committed? Yeah, but do they get any heavenly credit for it? No, they didn't do it for Jesus. They did it for themselves or for their God. 
Does that make sense? The Bible says God is love. That means no love means no God. Why? It's his nature. If you can't smell his nature in the room, something's wrong. It's just how he acts and who he is. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What's he talking about? He's talking about in the Corinthian church, they did some weird, freaky stuff. They were talking in languages they did not even know. Now, some of them were earthly, literal languages where it was like, oh, hey, suddenly they started speaking Italian, but they're Greek. That's weird, right? And then all that was going on in their midst. And then all of a sudden, somebody else starts praying and they're praying in like a heavenly tongue. You're like, I don't even think that is earthly. I don't even know what's going on with you. But it was so bizarre. And boy, the Corinthian church loved this gift because like a lot of gifts you can kind of go ah is that an ability or a gift is that a talent or a gift man when you're talking in a total other language it's kind of hard to fake that right so you're like oh my goodness god must be with us well when you got a gift like that it starts messing with your head a little bit because everyone else is like oh dang god must really like you he must have given you a super good one i got a dumb one i got like accounting <laughs> right and here you are, like, speaking Swahili and stuff. It's just weird, right? We're going to talk next week about the concept of tongues, the entire service. We're going to be talking about the depths and how do you sort out tongues and what's a prayer language and why is, there, is it a literal language? Is it not, right? How do you do that? And is it just kind of bleh, come out of your face or do you have to, like, organize it? And do you really do that stuff today? And, and how does that, right? We're going to get into all that next week. So for now, we just need to recognize they were doing that, and it was creating a problem, not because the gift was bad. The gift was legit. The gift was for the glory of God and the building up of the church. The problem was the selfishness that got involved. Is it possible to have the gift of tongues and not do it in loving ways? Yeah, of course there is. Man, it's with every gift, right? If I'm doing my gift and I'm not loving, kind of ruins the point, yes? He's like, man, if you do this stuff without love, what's a, what's a clanging gong and cymbal? It's irritating. If you do this stuff without love, you're irritating. I don't want you to talk. I want you to stop talking badly. Why? Because I don't want to be around you. You're not a nice person. So yes, you have an anointing, you have a gift, but your selfishness ruined it. I mean, think about it. Just even, just me utilizing my gift. If you knew I was mean to people, if you knew I was selfish and using the church for my benefit, that would make you want to go, I don't, I know God may speak through Lance, but I don't, I don't even want to listen to him anymore. Right? Because let me tell you the reality of being in a messy church situation, and a messy church, I mean, that has people in it. Here's the problem with messy church situations, right? You can have an anointing and a gift from God and still not be mature and still not know what you're doing and still be mean to people and still have all your problems, right? So check this out. Imagine there is a dude that is super gifted for the gift of healing and he comes up on the prayer team. The problem is, you know he dated your friend and he was a terrible person. What, you think you're gonna go to him for healing? 
No way. What God meant as a blessing got ruined by this guy's immaturity and selfishness. You don't want to go in that guy's line. You don't want to get prayed for by him. You're like, ew, get off me, right? I don't want anything that you have. So God was trying to go through that guy and he messed it up. That's the mess of a church. You're like, well, if he was a real jerk, God should have just cut off his gift. Do you really want that? Because he might be coming for you. Does that make sense? Now praise the Lord for his grace. Okay, but it makes it really messy because you're not quite sure. You're like, I thought that meant you were legit. Nope, you're mean. Okay, let's not do that, yeah? So how could you do tongues unlovingly? Well, right off the bat, you have a showy gift. Showy gifts immediately lead into pride. You gotta actually uh, uh, like, like fight against it. Why? Because you got this legit, hardcore, supernatural gift, and everyone's like, ooh, wow, right? And then you start buying your own press, and you're thinking, I must be more important than everybody else. Then it creates this elitism, and then it's the haves and the have-nots, and then all of a sudden, it's the, I got the special sauce of the Holy Spirit. Have you got the special sauce? And then everyone's like, no, I only have regular sauce, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) I can only read the Bible. I can't live the Bible, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And when you create that dynamic, you start, you see, human beings put gifts into an order of importance. The Holy Spirit said, if it wasn't important, I wouldn't have given you the gift. All the gifts are equally important. Now, they all operate differently, and some of them are louder than other gifts. Some of them happen to fall into leadership, and some of them, right? But they're all valuable. But when we start separating people out into classes of Christian, you've immediately messed up Christianity. There's no such thing as, oh, well, those are the super anointed and those are the, stop, right? We're just people in the hands of God. That's how it works. So he moves on, he says, verse two, if I had prophetic powers, like I'm speaking for God, literally God's giving me messages right now to share with you. There's no way I could have known that before that. And if I understand all mysteries and have all supernatural knowledge where I know stuff, I'm getting downloads, where I'm literally telling you things about you that I would never know. I can't understand that. And you're just getting blown away. Man, that guy's reading my mail, right? If I was doing all that, if I had faith so radical, like the Jesus type faith that he said you could remove mountains if I had all that, but I wasn't loving, I'm nothing. I don't care how flashy and powerful you are. I care whether or not you love God and love people. It's the only thing that matters. The love is what keeps the blessing a blessing. The love is what keeps the blessing a blessing. You pull out the love, you got a curse. Because man, when you're talking about spiritual gifts, we're talking about elements of power. When you talk about elements of power in the hands of a human, you're gonna have distortion. People get pretty dangerous. 1 Corinthians 13, three. If I give away everything I have, like meaning to feed the poor, if I deliver up my body in burning, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's like, some of you guys, you're like, oh, I give and I give and I'm I'm hardcore in ministry and I'm exhausted from ministry and everything. And you go, no, I know a lot of leaders like that. And you're still not loving. You're not getting credit for it. 
God's not going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's going to say, wow, you've hurt a lot of people, my exhausted servant. Right? He said, you see, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Now, this is this beautiful two-sided coin that every Christian should have in their pocket. Two-sided coin. Love means, love and kindness mean this. When people are irritating, when people rub you wrong, when people lash out at you, when people do things to you that are hurtful and harmful, and you respond with a grace, that's one side of that coin. The other side of the coin is when they're just people out there in front of you. They haven't done anything to you, but you're actively looking for ways to bless them. You're actively looking for ways to love on them. You're actively looking for ways to transform their lives. That's the other side of the coin. That's how God loves us, right? Because in one sense, he's not giving us the wrath that our sins deserve. He's actually giving us mercy. But at the same time, he's actively loving on us and caring for us and watching out for us and giving us treats and treasures and blessing. That's the other side of the coin. He said, if that's how I've treated you, that's how I want you to treat everybody else. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. See, the major problem with gifts in the hands of a human is they can become selfish displays, right? Look at my platform, right? I can do this. I must be valuable. I must be important. In our craving to feel important, Sometimes we let it consume too much of our heart. That's a problem. He said, so let's go practical. Let's talk about what your love shouldn't look like. Love does not envy. You can't look through the eyes of competition and jealousy. That's just not how Christians ought to see it. It stinks of competition. You're not in competition with anybody. You're just you trying to love on everybody else. That's it. Right? Stop trying to defend your territory. This isn't about you. It's about God. He said, love doesn't boast. It doesn't call attention to itself. Man, you may have a killer gift, but the minute it starts getting about you and nobody can see past you to Jesus, you just kind of messed it up. It should be able to see right through you, right into Jesus. He said, love is not arrogant. Arrogance pushes people away and down. Love lifts them up and draws them close. Very different. He said, love is not rude. Now, this is a trippy word in the Greek. I, I, had never, I hadn't heard this one or studied this one. Here's the essence of what it says. Love never uses the church for its own platform to push its own agenda, which is weird. So like, for example, let's say somebody, they know that the whole church is like having a big battle on whether drinking is right or wrong, right? Is alcohol sinful or is it not sinful? You know that everybody's kind of on pins and needles, has kind of made attention in the church, and you're like, I have full freedom in God to drink. I'm not getting drunk, but I'll tell you what, I'm drinking a 40 in the front row. Watch this, boom, take that, suckers. Okay. I got my rights, I got my right, I have freedom in Jesus, right? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The heck is wrong with you? That's the Greek word. It's the idea of flaunting something that you think you have freedom in and hurting everybody else. Yeah, 
Christians don't do that. Hmm. Love does not insist on its own way. Every time you walk into a room, you immediately scan and figure out how to be a blessing. You leave that room better than when you arrived. You do not walk in and take and leave. That's not how it works. You never think about yourself first. You're always thinking about ramifications. Is it possible to take a good gift but give it in a bad way? Yeah. Imagine you got 20 bucks and you know that God wanted you to help somebody else out, right? They've been kind of complaining a lot lately about, man, they don't have their needs met. They're struggling with their bills or whatever. And you know you got 20 bucks. You're supposed to give it to them. That in and of itself is, should be a gift, correct? But here's how you do it. Well, I guess you need it more than I do. You've been talking about it enough. <laughs> you just walk away. You just ruin the blessing. Could have been something awesome. But what did you do? You smeared it with selfishness. You smeared it with meanness. It's no longer a present. That person doesn't feel blessed. That person feels terrible. Love is not irritable. Man, some of y'all need to hear this one. Man, you guys think you got the spiritual gift of grumpiness. <laughs> you do not, my friend. This whole business where everything agitates you. Oh, America, right? And it's like, oh, I got a problem with my neighbor. Okay, if you're out there complaining about everything, you don't have love in your heart. Why do you keep talking about what's wrong with everybody else? I'm telling you right now what's wrong with you. Your heart's bad. Stop it. Well, everything, I'm not going to say everything's great about America. Listen, you're allowed to be loving and mature and sweet and kind and still think something's wrong with America. But you don't need to be complainer, irritant, everything bothers you. You know, you're like a reverse porcupine. Everything pins you, right? Every time you walk in, you walk into Walmart. Oh, it's, it's so bright in here. You know, you're like, oh, what the heck is wrong with you? Right? This gas line so long. Praise the Lord, you got gas. You know what I'm saying? Like when you have just this spirit of agit, everything irritates you. Something's wrong in your core. That's not how Jesus was. Love is not resentful. You know what that word means in Greek? It means you keep a record of wrongs. Every time somebody does something, you're like, Beep, just note that. Looked at me weird. Note that. Didn't say hi to me. Note that. Right? We're doing all that kind of stuff. And then what happens is then we lay in bed, and on our bad days, we're like, I hate that person. <laughs> They've done 32 things this week. Right? And then you shift to the next person, 64. I hate them more. And you're like, why are you counting all this stuff? Man, your spirit must feel so heavy from the lists. Right? Because you're always marking out, they did it, they did it, they did it, they did it, they did it. Still, you're thinking of only yourself. See, what real love in Christianity is supposed to do is process pain and release. Non-Christians stuff and keep a list. He said, it, verse six, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love always rejoices with the truth. You should never be happy when bad happens. You're like, well, I'm not happy when, come on, what are you talking about? Okay, here we go. 
there's a couple sitting next to you all the time in church, right? They're in your section, right? And in your section, they're like, oh, designer handbag, right? And they're like, oh, my shoes cost more than your child's education. And you're like, and, and so you're like, oh, you're flaunting this a lot, right? Like, you're, you're a little bit agitating to me. Like, I, I, I don't even think I like you, but you're in my church and everything. And then they have a house fire. And you're like, <laughs> the heck's with a maniacal laugh? What is wrong with you? Because you're like, oh, serves them right. Do you understand what was going on in your heart that allowed that? And that's pretty messed up. Love always rejoices when there's God victory, even if it's in your enemies. Man, I've always been shocked at how hard it is for me to celebrate when somebody that I don't care for has something good happen. And I'm always reminded in that moment, that's one of my fastest reminders, Jesus doesn't have you fully yet. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Some of you would skeptically look at that and go, oh, so I'm supposed to be a doormat. Oh, I get it. I just believe all things, right? Oh, I bet that guy's not going to use it on liquor or whatever. I'm just giving away free money. Like, you know, right? Love just, just doesn't have boundaries. Love just, stop, that's not what it said. Do you know what it says in Greek? It says evil will never shut down your love. You will always press through. You will never give up just because of resistance. Nothing's gonna stop your love. It is not circumstantially contingent. It is not based on what other people do. It is coming from a place of power with the Holy Spirit, and it's coming out of you so much, evil can't stop it. It's just who you are. That's love. Verse eight through 12 is all one thought. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known." Okay, interesting. This is the one passage that people that don't believe in the miraculous today go, see, it's in the Bible, right? All that freaky supernatural stuff, the supernatural knowledge download, all that stuff goes away. It just said it in the Bible. It's temporary. Here's my response. It is temporary. You're absolutely right. When the perfect comes, it will go away. What's the perfect? Jesus' return. Has Jesus come back yet? Then it's all in. See, supernatural gifting makes sense in this age only, in this life only. It doesn't make sense in the next. Why? They're little glimpses of heaven. What's the point of having a glimpse of heaven when you're in heaven? That's the whole point. What's the point in getting a download from the Holy Spirit when he's giving everyone the same download? What is the point in getting a word from Jesus when he's standing right in front of everyone? The gifts don't make any sense because we're not dealing with the same lack when we get there. So they're temporary for this age. But trust me, oh, we still need them right now. 
So now faith, hope, and love remain. These three in this age. But the greatest of the three is love. Anybody know why? I mean, just think about my reasoning as I've been pushing through this. What is Paul's reasoning? Why would love be more important than faith and hope? Because really, isn't faith kind of a big deal? I mean, think about the idea that it says we are saved by grace through faith. You're like, man, if that's how we get saved, that's pretty important. This whole love, right? Like, how's that more important? Simple. You don't need faith or hope in heaven. Faith says, God told me something and I'm going to hang on to it despite all the reasons not to. Because of the resistance, because of my circumstances, I'm going to still continue to believe even though I don't see fully. Do you need that in heaven? Nope. Hope says, I know the nature of God. I know his heart for me. So I sure hope he's going to do this for my benefit. Do you need that in heaven? Nope. But love... Love's different. Love is the very nature of God. Love will be just as strong in the next life as it is in this life. God will never stop loving. So of course it's the better of the three. It's the only one that's eternal. That's all his point was. Hmm. I got an assignment for you, right? Might wanna write this down. Here's what I need you to do this week. I want you to do one sacrificial, radical act of love. I don't care what it is. I don't care how big or how small, but here's the rules. You can't benefit from it. You're gonna find out this is actually really, really hard to figure out because you realize how much is mixed motives. You realize, well, I kind of did that so I'd feel good. Ah, whoops, we lost, right? And I want you to just think about it, think about it, think about it. What is it? What's one thing you can do, small or big, one radical act of love that smells only like Jesus? Or if you do it for that person, they don't see you as the person that blessed them. Try to think through that one. Because if we can start getting those types of love actions happening, I'm quite convinced we'll start to have impact in our region. Amen? Amen. So here's how we're going to close. Remember, one of the reasons why Christians should be able to love more is we're filled up with the love of God. You know what I'm going to pray for you right now? That you are overflowing with the love of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for your kindness. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your patience and your extraordinary love. God, we want to thank you and praise you because you're the one that understood us when nobody else did. You're the one that walked through when everybody else gave up. You're the one that took care of us in our anxiety and depression when the meds weren't enough. You're the one that makes sure to walk with us in the darkness and through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, we have had people come and we have had people go, but you are always there waiting and ready that every time that we pray, we say, Heavenly Father, you said, yep, I'm right here. 
And God, right now, I just pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to be able to see how much you love us. It was not just a distant act of sending your one and only son. It is an active, everyday sunshine, everyday rain, everyday being able to have the air to breathe, that you are not just the creator, you are the sustainer of all life. That every time our heart pumps, you're the one that kept it pumping. Every time our blood flows, it's because you made it flow. So right now, Lord, we just want to feel your love in this atmosphere. Holy Spirit, just allow us to understand what it means to be touched by our God, be in the presence of our God, that we might know you more and understand you more and be in great gratitude and thanksgiving that, Lord, that you're the gentle one, you're the strong one, you're the one that constantly whispers to us encouragements, you're the one that makes sure that when we have no friends, loneliness does not consume us. God, I just praise you, I praise you, I praise you you. Would you just allow all of us to remember your love so we can go out and spill it on everybody else? In Jesus' name, amen.